0: out there all you adventurous aardvarks thanks for joining us for another week of a little greener your favorite podcast all about nature conservation and sustainability i am one of your hosts my name is sarah and i am joined today by the absolutely delightful Kristen. Kristen, for those of you that have been listening for a while or you are, are used to a different name Kristen is filling in for casey who's spending time with her first baby and we're so happy to have you Kristen. Hello, how are you doing? Hello, I am
1: well, happy to be back again, Mm -hmm. enjoying the uh, super warm summer day today. Uh, We did some swimming this weekend, we're going to a water park this week, living up the last little bit of summer before school starts for my daughter.
0: Woo woo, yeah, I so forget about things like that. Being an adult without children that lives in a very touristy spot I forget about seasons. I mean it's ridiculously hot. So from that standpoint, I think about it. But yeah, just the summer is already kind of winding down for for school kids. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. And uh my daughter starts the first week in August, and that's early in my mind, because we always started later, kind of mid August when I was in school. Mm-hmm. So it seems so early. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it really does. I've been talking about that with other people down here, too, that have kids. It does seem really early. But such is life, man. Uh, Kristen, last week we talked about bees. I loved a couple weeks ago, whenever that was. I don't even know anymore. Our schedule got so so uh, <laughs> wonky there for a minute. Hopefully, we'll be back to some more regularly scheduled programming now. But whatever that was, our last episode was about bees. I had a lot of fun learning some things about bees, and we were given a challenge by our special guest, John, to, to look for bees, basically, when we were outside. And you my friend smashed this challenge. You knocked knocked it out of the
1: park. I did. That's what I was just going (laughs) to say. I just went, I went crazy. All the pollinators, not just bees, because I've been planting more and more natives in my yard. Uh, I removed the invasives the first year we moved into our house and now I'm just planting more and more natives. And this year, things kind of finally started filling in. And so I went out like the day after we recorded, I went out to look at, things and like take some pictures. And I sat there and really looked and there was a lot more out there than I thought there was. I mean, I did have honeybees. I mentioned that in our episode that a neighbor somewhere near has honeybees and I would like to know where they're at so I can have some honey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Bumblebees, of course, but I also saw carpenter bees. I saw some sort of sweat bee, some sort of cool, dark, iridescent, wasp looking thing I don't know I should ask John about it it looked really cool not something I wanted to get very close to but it looked very cool and then most exciting of all and I had to text you about this right away Sarah I saw a hummingbird moth a hummingbird moth my lawn like I freaked out because I have never
0: seen one and this was the day after we recorded that episode and I I was talking about hummingbird moths
1: seen one before and I was out in my backyard and this very large thing flew by my head and I thought it maybe was a butterfly or something and it bonked into the side of my garage and ricocheted off and then it was like oh flowers and I have some garden flocks and it sat there and I got I got pretty close to it and then I was like no way and I texted you right away <laughs>
0: and I recorded it. So there may be some photos. of Yes. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> actually, by the time y'all are listening to this, we'll have posted some. Because, yes, Kristen uh, oh, very man. kindly sent me all this stuff. And it was somewhat active- anticlimactic because my phone not do well with texted videos and so I couldn't tell what it was and I was like oh Uh. yay you found some bees and she's like it's a hummingbird moth oh yeah and then she sent me the video and I was just duly excited it was beautiful so yes we'll be sharing those photos with you and Kristen thank you for sending them because I needed to live vicariously through you because I have no bees
1: well, uh, we have a guest room, so you're always <laughs> welcome to come visit.
0: It's only
1: a, a short drive. Yeah, right. <laughs> what is what is it, like twelve hours? Like <laughs> it's long.
0: Fifteen hours, I oh, think. Oh gosh, even longer. Um No, I, so I actually have been outside more regularly here in the past few weeks, which is nice because I've been taking my dog for regular walks. So just walking around the neighborhood and I was, I've been keeping an eye out now and I genuinely have not seen a single bee of any kind since we recorded the episode Hmm. and very little flying insects either at all, period. I've always been kind of sad about the lack of native wildlife and also just diversity of plant in my neighborhood so and for those of you that have been listening you may know that my native plant that i planted in my beach dune sunflower sadly is no longer with <laughs> so, r.i.p uh, yeah i have one flowering shrub that that a lot of houses seem to have here in this neighborhood i don't know what it is but i haven't yet to see anything flying around it at all so i am just living joyously through the pictures that you sent me, and I'll have to go on some, some walks beyond my neighborhood to see what pollinators I can find there. But it was a fun challenge, and I've definitely been more aware as I've been out walking around.
1: And it's pretty amazing um, when you do make that switch. And if even if some neighbors do just Mm -hmm. swapping out a couple plants for something native and something flowering, if you plant it, they will come like it is amazing. Just the different diversity I see now uh, versus a year ago and especially versus two years ago. So it still kind of blows my mind how insects work like that, how they're attracted mm-hmm. to the certain flowers and certain colors and, and things like that. So yeah. there is there's hope. Don't don't lose hope.
0: Yes. No, I it's definitely something I want to work on. And it's it is kind of a fun little case study our differences of experience and the differences of plant life that we have.
1: For sure. And so um we're gonna try to transition away from this, even though I could talk about bees forever. I love pollinators, but
0: (laughs) we have another very fun topic for discussion. We sure do. And
1: to start that discussion, Sarah, I would like to know, what was your favorite
0: TV show as a child? This is a hard question. You know, a a few episodes ago, Kristen, we did our Animals of the Little Mermaid episode, and that was like far and away standout favorite movie for me. When I was a kid, TV is a little harder and my my eras gets sort of muddled because it depends on if we're talking about sort of teenager versus going back to the shows when you were little, really little. And I have a harder time remembering those from the time that I was really little. I think of now I think back to the old like Nickelodeon shows. Absolutely. Rugrats. Rugrats. Mm-hmm. And Doug Rugrats, and stuff like that. Doug
1: and Hey Arnold were hey Arnold, the ones yeah. that I watched. But
0: I feel like I was already a little older when those came out. I mean, I guess you got to go with classic. Like I think Sesame Street was big when we were little. Little Mister um, Rogers Neighborhood mm-hmm. and Reading Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, now they're coming back. There it is. So there those were those were maybe some again. I don't really know how old. I would have been when those came out, but those were definitely some shows that I enjoyed as a kid. I don't know if I could pick a standout favorite. Yes,
1: yeah, so it was. Some it, good kid shows back in the day. There's some good though. ones. I was a huge Sesame Street kid. Um, my mom, I'm, uh, I have a younger brother, but I, I'm the oldest uh, kid in my family. And my mom would say she would like plot me in front of the TV when I was really little to watch Sesame Street so she could run to take a shower. And so that, that stuck with me um, that I was so engaged in Sesame Street that I would sit still and watch it so she could have a five-minute shower. So I watched a lot of Sesame Street, a lot of Rugrats, and I also occasionally watched Arthur. Did you watch Arthur!
0: Arthur? Yes. I mean, again, I don't remember if it was a thing that I actually watched when it was age-appropriate for me or if it's something that I came across as maybe I was a little older and I was babysitting or whatever or it, it was just something that was on. But yes, I definitely remember Arthur was the one. Apparently,
1: it uh, was released in 1996. Okay, so I would have been a little older, but I yes. remember it vividly. It wasn't, I wouldn't say my favorite, but I do remember watching it. Um, and Arthur had uh, a best friend that it was a bunny, I think. I'm remembering yeah, a white bunny. A white bunny, yep. I don't really remember much of the premise of the and show. he had a sister. He did have a, a little, little sister. sister, and she wore a little jumper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't remember much. But the listeners probably are lost at this point. <laughs> the reason I-, <laughs> I brought this up is... Is because Arthur is actually an aardvark, even though he I looks can't... nothing like an actual aardvark.
0: <laughs> I do We're gonna talk about aardvarks, obviously. I mean, that's the, the the subject of the episode. If you're listening and don't know what an aardvark looks like, but have watched the show Arthur, just wipe that, wipe that from your brain. Not accurate at all. Crazy to me. <laughs> That arthur is i'm an aardvark. trying
1: to think what he actually looks like like maybe like uh, a woodchuck or something maybe. like i don't
0: <laughs> i don't know I but don't not know. an aardvark i don't know i have no idea how how they got arthur out of what an aardvark actually looks like but uh, they are super interesting animals and that's what we're going to talk about tonight so if y'all stick around we will fill you in on what an aardvark actually is, what they really look like, and what makes them such cool animals.
1: All right. Thank you for joining us. Now that we've talked a little bit about what an aardvark isn't, <laughs> let's talk about maybe what an aardvark actually looks like. So wipe the image of Arthur, the aardvark, out of your mind. Sarah, can you describe what an actual
0: aardvark looks like? I will do my best. They really are just super unique animals. Hold on. I need my, my photographic reference here. I'm going to say that they are a combination between... Pig, rabbit, kangaroo, and bear with me, Yoda. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) That's my description. So we're imagining a, gosh, I don't even know how tall, but like sort of medium to large dog-sized animal, I would say, but like buffer than at least than my dog. uh. So a, a, a pretty sturdy-looking animal, sort of grayish color, long tubular snout, sort of looks like a, a long extended pig nose with big old rabbit ears. You might almost have to throw a little deer in at the face too, like their <laughs> eyes maybe are a little okay. bit, I feel like deer-like. And then I'm going back to mo- more of a pig-like sort of thick skin sparse hair kind of body and then a tail that just makes me think kangaroo that's where the kangaroo comes from and then their feet are really bizarre to me and i don't feel like i'd ever really spent time looking at an aardvark's feet before preparing for this episode but that's where yoda comes in if you look at a picture of an aardvark's front feet and then go look at a picture of Yoda's hands and tell me that there is not inspiration there.
1: You know, that's not the part of Yoda I thought you oh. were using. <laughs>
0: ears, were you thinking? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel like Yoda kind of has the little hair yeah. sticking out of mm-hmm. his ears. And so yeah. now I need to go look at Yoda's no, yeah, do, hands.
0: That'll okay. be, that'll be par- part of the challenge <laughs> for the week is everybody yes. go compare and our Burke's front feet to Yoda's hands and tell me I'm not crazy.
1: Done. Thank you, and and please, listeners, do that and let us know. <laughs> I'm here for it. So I I agree with all of that. They are very big, stocky animals, um, usually about 110 to 180 pounds. 50 to 82 kilograms for anyone that's listening outside of the United <laughs> States. I don't know if we ever do that, but I thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, it's good. Um, And the name aardvark is from a South African word meaning earth pig. So pig, Fits. I mean, they look like a pig. And then as we kind of describe some of the adaptations of an aardvark, the earth part will kind of come into focus as well. I love aardvarks. They're one of my favorite animals. They're so strange. Um, and hopefully, <laughs> listeners, after listening to this, you'll find them at least interesting. Maybe not as lovable as I do, but I'm a little strange. <laughs>
0: no, I think I think this is, I love it when we do these animal episodes. I think it's so fun. Every time we do it, I get just renewed with excitement about an animal, even if it's an animal that I already knew about or had worked with, which I have not. I've not ever really worked with aardvarks, although I have been around them. I, yeah, they just, it just refills me with excitement and it reminds me how cool animals are. So, yeah, I love that we get to just talk about the animals that we think are cool.
1: Absolutely. So we've compared them to pigs a lot, but they're not related to pigs so i did um some digging (laughs) and (laughs) that's a joke for later hold Hold on on to to that that. hold on to that (laughs) and according to national geographic their common ancestors are elephants and golden moles so digest that for a second and then I was like, well, what is a golden mole? I had never heard. I mean, I know what a mole is, but what's a golden mole? And so they do kind of have almost goldenish fur. And according to uh, Wikipedia, so take that with a grain of salt, there are 21 different species of golden moles, and they live in sub-Sahara Africa. And that is where our are found. So they um, kind of share uh, a region, and these moles... <laughs> have eyes but they're non-functional and they're covered with fur and so they can't see (laughs) so they're just strange little creatures i don't know if you're ever gonna do a a podcast episode on moles but i just thought that was wild that that aardvarks are related to moles in some way
0: you went down the the rabbit hole of
1: the aardvark animals
0: yeah the the (laughs) unique animals how many digging puns can we fit into this episode uh yeah i don't know if we'll do an episode on the golden mole either we'll put it on the list but folks who have been listening you are may be recalling this a little bit from our episode on elephant trues who are also in this little group of sort of misfit animals if you will so we we mentioned aardvarks in that episode we probably mentioned golden moles as well uh, as part of this this group that's called afrotheria Tenrex, the sirenians like manatees and dugongs elephants and hyraxes they also sort of fall into that group of afrotheria these aren't like super closely related animals they just are sort of placed in this group together and there is only one species of aardvark, that is the only member of its order. So they really don't have any super close relatives. So they are genuinely, aside from just their appearance, they're a very unique animal.
1: Absolutely. Very strange, very unique. Um, You had mentioned earlier when you were discussing their appearance, that very, very long snout, and they have a long, thin tongue as well because these animals are insectivores. So they're eating insects primarily. And so I um, did work with aardvarks for a brief period of time when I was a keeper, and that's kind of how I fell in love with them. But I don't ever remember seeing Uh, A skeleton or even a skull of an aardvark. We didn't have any artifacts like that to show people. We just did keeper talks uh, with the animals. And so then I had to look up some photos, and they are very strange looking in skeletal form as well. (laughs) And I pulled up photos of the skull specifically. And when I looked at it, just briefly it reminded me a little bit of a deer skull and I added some photos so you could see as well do yeah. you kind of get that vibe
0: there, there definitely is I think just from the elongatedness and the teeth to a certain extent I yes. think yeah you, you placement can see of the teeth
1: the elongated kind of snout um, placement of the eyes yes for sure and I just thought that was so kind of random and then once I was looking at the skull I was trying to think well they do have those molars in the back just like a deer does for grinding food but do they actually need to do that was my next question like are, are yeah. they actually chewing their food
0: yeah and this is a weird thing like I still want to know more about this because I think Looking at it, it seems that generally speaking, no, they don't chew their food, right? So they have a muscular stomach almost akin to Kristen being the bird nerd. We would talk about like the gizzard that birds have to help them sort of grind up some of their food. They don't have any teeth. So our barks have a muscular stomach wall that they can use to grind up their food. And so that generally seems to be what is said about them. I'm still very curious though. So then I'm like, well, why do they have these like sizable teeth? I found one mention in one article that was like a snippet of an old study that mentioned that they might have a a little use for their teeth when eating some things. That was the only mention of it. I found everything else I read said that they do not chew their food. So just sort of adds to their mystery i feel like that they they have these teeth that they don't appear to need right. that are also apparently uniquely structured their teeth have like they don't have enamel and they're continuously growing and worn down somehow even though they're not chewing so i'm so not many sure questions. so
1: many questions and i i i looked up you know quite a few articles and you couldn't find a ton of information mm-hmm. um and that could be that just not a lot is known mm-hmm. and as you know we continue talking you might see some clues as to why that is but there's not a ton of people studying aardvarks yeah. and so um that's something I would like to learn more about or you know their jaws and how much movement they're even capable of and I worked with them and I still i am curious, you know, they're not going to really be able to bite someone. They don't have teeth up front. So um, how much are they actually using those teeth and how are they worn down? Like you said, if they're not doing a lot of chewing. So um, we had mentioned that they're insectivores and the biggest part of their diet is usually termites, which sounds not very pleasant, but to (laughs) an hard bark, delicious. So what they'll do is we had mentioned those crazy uh, yoda like claws I, I don't promise know. <laughs> I promise look it up they are very large claws um very thick um and they'll use those to break up termite mounds which are pretty solid structures yeah. like I don't think I could unless I like kicked
0: at it I don't think I could break apart a termite mound myself yeah and it is funny like this it just immediately this conversation hearkens to an animal that I've talked about more through my career which is the anteater some similar features to the aardvark yes. again not related but some of these similar features for these similar purposes and those huge giant claws ant anteaters have to tear apart the ant mounds and termite mounds and things like that so yeah it is it is they are pretty specialized and set up well for this termite diet for sure
1: Yeah, so they will, I mean, occasionally eat other things as well. I I read some things on ants and beetles and some other insects, but um, termites are definitely their favorite.
0: Yeah, and they do have a lot of cool adaptations, so we can dive into that. I was going to say dig into that a little more, but we already used that one. So. Oh, dang. What's but another pun? They, <laughs> they are built for digging, as we've been alluding to this entire time. And they really are. Kristen just mentioned those big old thick claws that are fantastic, not only for breaking open those termite mounds to eat, but also for digging their burrows. And they have different Types or uses for burrows. It sounds like that sometimes they might dig a more simple burrow uh, just to kind of rest in for the day, and they can also dig bigger, more expansive tunnels with multiple entrances and things like that that the moms can use for for raising their babies. So they have to do a lot of digging for their homes. They do a lot of digging for their food. And Kristen, I was reading, I don't know if this was true when you worked with them too, like if they did this under human care or not, but they'll they'll bury their poop too. Yes. All right. There you Mm -hmm. go. So digging for everything. And so they have a lot of adaptations to help them do that besides just the claws. They also have hair everywhere. You mentioned this a little with the the Yoda ears too, I guess, Kristen. But they have long hairs around their eyes. They have hairs in their nose. Because, I mean, imagine – Sometimes I watch my dog dig out in the yard and he'll get a little excited with his digging holes. And then he'll come running back over to me just, like, all excited. And he'll be panting in my face. And he just has dirt all over his tongue and, like, in his ears. And I'm just, like, this – this looks like no fun at all, my friend. I'm <laughs> sorry to <laughs> tell you. So artworks who have to dig this much, they have those hairs around their eyes, uh, around their nose to help keep the dirt out. And they can also pin their ears back to help keep the dirt from flying in places that they don't want it to fly.
1: Yes, definitely some, some good adaptations to have. And then humans, we just have... Little eyelashes, and that's all that protect our eyeballs, so we could never be in an environment like that. We would not last for very long. Um, But that's the digging aspect is probably uh, the most fascinating to me. Working with them in a zoo situation, uh, they still did a lot of digging, so we gave them a lot of different types of uh, substrate to dig in um, to keep them occupied. And then they did have a yard Um, that we took them out into to dig so you did briefly mention it that they're digging burrows to lay in during the day because they are nocturnal so there would be short periods of time we would take them out uh, to kind of see people otherwise they would just be sleeping all day (laughs) and we'd bring them out to their yard that was just completely dirt we couldn't keep any plants in there really because they would dig them up and they would just go to town, and they oh would dig gosh. and dig and dig. We always had to have another keeper on standby because they couldn't dig down too far, because then we just wouldn't be able to get them out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So that was always fun.
0: <laughs> Did you have to go in and would you refill holes? And oh then yeah, they would go and mm. that job. was a
1: a part a big part of the job. So we would you know get them up and take them out into their yard. We do our little chat. And then also try to make sure to keep an eye on them that they weren't digging too deep. Yeah. Finish our chat. Shuffle them back inside. And then once we had them inside, we would then go fill all the holes.
0: (laughs) But what a cool thing to be able to see up close to. And this is what I I feel like is so cool because I I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier or not. But I do feel like this is an animal that. Some people don't know is real, and so it's it's not a lot of zoos that have them. But I think it is a cool opportunity for folks to get to see them up close and appreciate those adaptations.
1: Absolutely, and uh, we alluded to this a little bit ago uh, that they are nocturnal, but they're also solitary. So that's another reason they're so difficult to study. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we've talked about with other animals on your episodes, I mean they're. Advantages to being awake at night. I mean, one of those, especially for the aardvark, is protection from the sun. So they are in Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, can get a little warm there. And while they do have some hair, it's not some fur, but it's not a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can imagine they would probably get sunburned if they were out during the day a lot. Yeah. Which... You know, if you thought the aardvark looked strange before, can you imagine a sunburnt <laughs> aardvark?
0: Oh. Yeah, hiding in those burrows during the day is probably pretty smart. Yeah, I, did, I actually hadn't really thought about that, but I bet that is, uh, would be a concern for them out, out during the day. They do have pretty thick skin. That's another adaptation, though. So sparse hair, but thick skin, that can be a potential help for them as they are eating things like ants and termites that could potentially do some biting that thick skin is a a protection for them against those insects as well.
1: And that's something I I often forget. I mean, it's been quite a few since I've worked with Ardverx, but yeah, it's necessary to have that thick skin because yeah, a lot of their food is going to bite back. Sarah, it looks like you found some fun information on some of their senses.
0: Yeah, so this is one I feel like I was surprised and frustrated when we did our episode on the elephant shrew that I couldn't really find a whole lot special. That, you know, they have these crazy long little snouts, and I found like nothing of interest related to their snout in terms of adaptation or things that help them. But it is for the aardvark. They also have those long snouts, like we talked about, reminiscent of sort of an elongated pig nose. And they do seem to have a great sense of smell. I was reading, I initially read this from the Carnegie Museum of Natural History, but then I saw it in a number of places as well, that aardvarks have, fun Jeopardy fact for you, have the highest number of olfactory Turbinal bones of any mammal. So this is the part like inside the nose that is that are like all the little like if you ever look at a skull or a skull replica of mammals and you see the little thin curly bones inside the nasal cavity kind of. Uh, So these are all covered by like uh, they say olfactory epithelium here but Basically, what is going to help give them a sense of smell. So the highest number of olfactory terminal bones of any mammal award winner aardvark, good sense of smell to help them find those insects that they're eating. Fantastic. And probably other things too.
1: (laughs) And if you look up any videos of aardvarks, I think maybe Planet Earth 2 might have had some videos if I'm remembering correctly. Their nose is like almost always to the ground unless they're Mm -hmm. like actively tearing apart a termite mound. Their nose is to their ground and you can see their furry little nose kind of vibrating almost back and forth as they're looking um, for different things to eat. So just fascinating creatures.
0: Yeah, all kinds of cool things. So they have this sort of mishmash almost put together body parts, it feels like. And even I didn't even mention this, but the skeleton picture that you put in here, Kristen, is really sort of bizarre looking too, because you do see those almost long toes that look very finger like on on the skeleton. And then this they have this sort of arched, humped back that I I guess you do see when you're looking at the animal fully, but I didn't really, it sort of seemed exaggerated in the skeleton. So yeah, definitely an animal with a unique uh, appearance, but those parts all work together to help them survive in their environment. And I found one other thing when I was reading about the aardvark too, not a, a physical adaptation per se, but a thing that I had never heard of before. And Kristen, I'm curious if this was a thing that you were aware of. Have you heard of the aardvark cucumber? I have not. Okay, so I came across this again in just a snippet of a study, but then I did try to corroborate it in other places. So this seems to be a genuine thing that at least right now we we believe to be true, that artvarics have a relationship with a specific type of cucumber that is referred to now as the aardvark cucumber. So as we've said, they eat mostly insects and uh, mostly uh, termites and ants and some other bugs as well. But they do apparently also sometimes ingest some vegetable matter. And this aardvark cucumber is one of them. I'm not even going to try the scientific name, but basically the idea is that the aardvark is the only disperser of the seeds of this plant so this plant has yeah. cucumbers that basically grow underground so the aardvark is going to come across them as they're digging their burrows and will sometimes eat the fruit of this cucumber and then they will distribute the seeds in their feces and they do bury so i guess the the seeds of this plant need light to germinate so they bury their feces but not enough that so, so like these seeds can still get the light that they need. Cause if the plant just like rotted out underground, those seeds would never huh. spread. So the thought is that maybe the, the aardvarks are getting some source of water from this eating the fruit. Sure. And then they are the sole disperser of seeds of this plant. I'd never heard about that before. But again, this, so this sort of symbiotic relationship. Every animal is important.
1: And now I'm looking up pictures of it right now. So strange. We learn new things every day. That's so right. I appreciate that. The only interesting fact I, I put on here, and it's not as interesting as yours, is that aardvarks like avocados. No way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you, you feed them our avocados? The, just
0: occasionally as enrichment. Just in like Pitt. us millennials. Join the club. Oh, man. Those
1: millennial <laughs> aardvarks. That should be the title of this episode. <laughs> Yeah, so that was something easy for them to eat because they could kind of lick that up with that big tongue. They didn't have to yeah. you know, attempt any chewing, um, but all the aardvarks I took care of loved it, and it was just a special treat. Sure. It got kind everyone's en- in a enrichment while. food
0: item for them. Yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it can be difficult to enrich an aardvark besides giving them crazy things to dig in. Lots so, to dig, yeah. Different types of insects and then avocados. Who oh, knew? Yes.
0: Who knew? All right. So I feel that we have established so far. Aardvarks are unique looking animals. Lots of adaptations for them to survive in sub-Saharan Africa. Interesting random food tastes as well with our cucumbers and avocado. Let's talk about conservation for This species, nature, conservation, sustainability—that's the name of the game here, right? So, what's the conservation status of aardvarks? Are they what sort of threats are they facing in their native habitat?
1: Sure, and we we also mentioned that they are kind of hard to study, and so some of this is is just kind of possible threats. So they are. Their status is least concerned, as far as we know.
0: That's good um, news. I feel like well, sometimes, yeah, we come in and say that, like, oh, they're least concerned or whatever. And that, I don't know, sometimes makes us feel like it's less important of a species or something. But, man, I it's wonderful news when we get to come on here and tell you about a cool animal that is not currently listed as endangered or threatened. So hooray! I'm glad to hear that with yes. regard to our aardvarks.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. some of my favorite animals are, are on the threatened and endangered mm-hmm. list, but this one thankfully is not. So yes. I'm super grateful for that. So as far as we know, they're pretty widespread. And the the biggest threat to aardvarks at the current time is humans. Um, I mean, these animals are digging holes and burrows, and that can be um, a problem for, you know, farmers and things like that. Yeah. And then there also may be some concern of them being hunted for bushmeat. I didn't find a ton on this, but that's just uh, a possibility, not necessarily over hunted, but um, there is that possibility. Something to keep an eye on. Something to keep an eye on for sure. And then um, the other thing that ties into our last episode is the use of insecticides and pesticides and things like that spraying on cropland um, because an aardvark needs to eat those insects that they're spraying for. And I didn't really make that connection until I was doing research for this episode. And it, I mean, it makes sense. So, you know, we advocated, last episode to, you know, limit your, your chemical use as much as you can and to make sure you're using the right rate and the right location and things, but to be, we need to be really wary of what other species are impacted besides those quote unquote pests that we are trying to get rid of. So that, that could be an issue we need to, you know, keep in mind
0: yeah that this all of that was so interesting to me because I and we keep saying it over and over again, but it's true this is such a unique animal to me that I don't think of it in connection to other things I, that doesn't make any sense but you know I it's hard for me to imagine living around this animal right but yeah so in the same way that we might have animals like groundhogs or raccoons or coyotes maybe or opossums that live around us here in the United States that we might struggle with sometimes and need to figure out how to live in harmony with that is the struggle that that people in parts of southern Africa are going to have that challenge with aardvarks yeah these big burrow digging animals you can see how yeah there there might be a challenge in some human wildlife conflict there so that's is i mean i don't have a solution but that's just interesting to to think about
1: yes and you know i feel so far away <laughs> from from these creatures unfortunately and you know, I just want to protect them because they're cool animals. But right, um, yes, you definitely got to put yourself in in someone else's shoes. And if they're tearing up someone's property, they they might not you know be as cool to them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, aardvarks do share a habitat with a lot of other really really cool animals. Um, the cheetah being one of them. My favorite animal yeah. that I've talked about so much. And cheetahs are classified as threatened. And there is uh, there are a few types of golden moles that are classified as endangered. So they're endangered and threatened species in the same habitat as aardvarks. So protecting the aardvarks habitat protects a lot of threatened and endangered species as well. So to me, I mean, that's the main message is why you should care about aardvarks because you're protecting kind of the whole system.
0: For sure. And I mean, I think other species of animals, too, will utilize their burrows as well after they've been abandoned and things like that. So they're the habitat that they provide for other species is important, too. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm always all about just the we should care about them because they're a living thing on the planet. But yeah, I I think that there are important sort of bigger picture conservation things to keep in mind. And I do always like to say to whenever we're talking about an animal that is not listed as endangered, we do not need to, nor should we, wait for an animal to become threatened or endangered before we start thinking about what we need to do to protect it. So the time to start thinking about conservation for species is now no matter what threat level the the species is at so I think this was super fun I like I said I love doing the episodes on these individual animals I also every time we do these episodes I start to feel like I relate a little more to an animal I'm like oh oh they're solitary oh they like to spend time like laying in their burrows like they eat and they rest in their burrows and that's and they just sort of hang out by themselves. That's the life of an Eidberg. I can dig it. <laughs> oh, got her. <laughs> uh, anyway. Bind yeah. me up for that life. Uh, burl <laughs> life sounds
1: great. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: so thank you, Kristen, for bringing up this animal. It was a fun one to talk about.
1: Absolutely. Thank you uh, for listening to this kind of random episode, but I hope you got a little bit out of it and maybe learned something new. Uh, We hope you'll stick around. We do have a few challenges for you after a short break. All right. Welcome back. All about Ardvarks today. Woo! Kristen, what's the
0: challenge of the week for us this week?
1: Well, I have a couple. The first one I kind of already talked about a little bit is if you're using any sort of pesticides, stop and think if it's really necessary to use that chemical and if there are other kind of natural ways Um, to get rid of this quote-unquote pest species that you Mm -hmm. are looking at. Maybe um, there's other methods that aren't chemical methods that you can be using. So definitely double-think your use of pesticides and get some um, professional opinion on that. So you're using the right thing, right time, right place, and and that kind of thing. And look for more natural methods if you can.
0: And I also, can I just jump in on on that real quick too, to just say... Some of this, like not always, I have used chemical, yeah, pesticides before and herbicides on on occasion, but do try to be very sparing about it. But some of this is sort of retraining our brain or, or reprioritizing. Maybe. So people who've been listening to the podcast have heard me talk about these bugs that I have all over my house. I can't remember what the name of them is anymore. The bugs themselves are not invasive, but they're here probably because of this invasive tree species Mm. that I have. And so they, on certain times of year, it is like... A horror movie out there, (laughs) like they're just covered. But I did some research on them and they do not harm anything. They're not destroying my house. They're not destroying plants or anything like that. The bugs themselves don't do any harm. So I opted to, I'm not spraying anything, you know, I'm not trying to get rid of them because. Whatever. So I have lots of weird bugs all over the place on the outside of my house, but they're not doing any damage. So I can make the choice to not use that pesticide and just live with the bugs. You know what I mean? So sometimes yeah. it's just re- reprioritizing those things too. Yes, I'll take the hit on the, the visual impact uh, to avoid the chemical impact.
1: That is an excellent point. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, there probably are some listeners out there that maybe don't have a yard at all Mm -hmm. um, that won't be able to utilize that challenge. So I do have one more that might be of interest to some folks is to look up some videos of aardvarks, you know, quote unquote, hunting at night. Um, Super interesting creatures and watch how they uh, use that long snout and their great sense of smell. And how uh, you can probably see a little bit of that hair as well, protecting them for the elements. So look up some hunting aardvarks and then maybe look up Arthur and Yoda. And you can <laughs> make your own comparisons and let us know what you think.
0: Yes, were we accurate in our descriptions and accurate in our... Disdain is the wrong word because we both said we enjoyed Arthur as a show. In our incredulity that in learn upon learning that arthur was actually supposed to be an Park, <laughs> are we are we on point there no that's are a great there,
1: challenge oh, are there any arthur animators listening <laughs> to this podcast right no. now oh no please email us i would like to know your just, inspiration yeah <laughs> just let us know the
0: inspiration we're not faulting you it's an adorably no. animated
1: it's so cute oh, but i want to so know cute. Yeah, the decision on on some some of that animation. So, let us know. I'm sure you're listening.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um I no, I love the challenge. I want to look up some of those videos too. I do think that that is a fun way to just sort of be intentional about learning about a specific animal uh, even when you can't see it in person. I think really taking the time to seek out and watch and pay attention to that animal is a great way to be inspired to appreciate it a little more. So, great challenges. Folks, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, suggestions for future episodes, bee photos you want to share, work stories you want to share, anything like that, you can find us all over the place. We are on Facebook. You can find us at a little greener podcast. We are on Instagram at a little greener pod. We are on Twitter at a greener podcast. And you can email us anytime at a little greener podcast at gmail.com.
1: Thank you guys for listening and we appreciate all your thoughts. So send us some photos, send us some stories, suggestions for new episodes. We're here to listen to it all.
0: Yay. Always lovely chatting with you, Kristen. Thanks again. And folks, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks.